Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Well, good morning. Um, We have been going through the book of Acts. And last week, we had made it all the way up to the Jerusalem Council, which is a um, climactic, critical spot, if you would, in the unveiling of God's mystery of the church. It was a time when, for us, specifically today, what we believe, how we live, what we have to do was delineated by the church at that time through the the working of the Holy Spirit, of course. And so we saw that it all began in the uh, city of Antioch, the church of Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas had been teaching, but that they had gone out from there and to proclaim the message, and that they had sent um, a contingent, including Paul and Barnabas, down to Jerusalem in order to, to figure out an answer for a particular question. And the question is, what do the Gentiles need to do for salvation? It was a big deal, because Paul and Barnabas had just traveled around, and we'll see their travels in just a moment. They had traveled around, and they had seen the Gentiles being saved, and they were declaring then that the Gentiles didn't need to do anything, because God clearly was saving them without them being circumcised, without them coming underneath the law, and so therefore that's what they were. But then some from the circumcised group, some of the Pharisees came up from Jerusalem to Antioch and began to teach otherwise. And there was a great dissension that was in the church of Antioch. And so again, as I mentioned last week, again, put yourself in the people of Antioch's position. You have Paul and Barnabas, everything sounds great, but now all of a sudden you have representatives, or what appear to be representatives, and we saw at the end of last week that it was very clearly stated by the elders that they didn't come up from us. Make sense? but seem to be representatives of Jerusalem, stating, no, no, indeed, the Gentiles need to be circumcised. So what do we do with this? So they sent Paul and Barnabas and a contingent with them, probably from the other point of view, to Jerusalem. There was the, the great debate that happened, and as a result of that, it was determined that um, the Gentiles didn't need to do anything else. There was nothing that they needed to do from the law. They didn't need to be circumcised, but it would be good for them if they refrained from idols, Um, if they refrain from blood, things strangled, and from sexual morality. They would do well if they would do these things. And so Paul and Barnabas were sent, along with Judas and Silas, back to Antioch in order to give them that message. And from there, then, so they go there, and then they declare that message, and Paul at this time is becoming, taking greater ownership, if you would, of the ministry. So when they had left from Antioch and they went to Cyprus, remember that? What was his name? Saul. Saul of Tarsus. But it was while they went forth that he changed his name to Paul, okay? And he begins to take upon himself a greater role. It's Paul who is the one who heals the cripple in Iconium, right? If you remember that, okay? And so it's Paul and Barnabas now who are in in the church of uh, Jerusalem. And so after some days, Paul decides... Um, and we'll read this in a moment, Paul decides that it would be good for he and Barnabas to go back through and to encourage the, the churches that they had gone to before because God had used them to go to Cyprus, remember, and you saw the, the great um, awakening and, and how the gospel came forth through Cyprus. And they went straight up into the heart of Asia Minor to Antioch Pisidian. 
And then from there, they went over to Iconium, Derby, and Lystra. And then they returned the same route and then went back to the city of Antioch. So at this point, there's an opportunity for growth, if you would, of the gospel. Now, what I failed to mention when we came through the Jerusalem Council, what I wanted to bring, and that is when the, at the Jerusalem Council, when the decision was made by the elders and such, clearly there was coming into that meeting people on what? Both sides. And probably there were people on more than just both sides. I mean, because again, you get four people together and you got a hundred different opinions, right? And so, so more than likely it happened more than just two distinct sides. There were shades of the sides all in between. But when the decision was made, everybody had a decision to make. Right? Yeah. And the decision is what? Will you submit to the decision or buck against the decision, rebel against the decision? And so I think it's a phenomenal moment that they submitted. And again, for me, it's, I'm reading into it. I am. I know that. But the sense that I get is that James is not necessarily of the opinion going into this that he rendered coming out of it. And so that in and of himself, he is having to make a change because he sees how God is working and he has to work that. And so I can't imagine what that would be like for multiple of those people at that moment. They had to make that decision. Well, bring that over now to Antioch on the return trip now. Paul decides they want to go forth. Well, that's going to bring open opportunities for more conflict, okay? And so we're going to see two discipleship opportunities, two discipleship issues that are going to occur in this short passage that we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about John Mark, and we're going to talk about Timothy, but really we're going to talk about more than just John Mark and more than Timothy. We're going to be talking about Paul and Barnabas as well in the midst of all that, right? So I want to read, uh, beginning at chapter 15, verse 36, and then we'll go down to chapter 16, verse 5. It says, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with him with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul took, chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra in Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went to the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So we have two situations going on there, the end of chapter 15, the beginning of chapter 16. The first one is regarding John Mark. And there's a contention, which again, if you've read the Bible enough or been in church long enough, you know this story. You know this account, okay, um, of the, the split, if you would, of Paul and Barnabas. But there's a whole lot going on behind here. And again, if you remember the theme that I've been trying to bring out 
we've been coming through this, as the church has been going from Jerusalem and all Judea into Samaria and now into the uttermost part of the world, and that is that God has sovereignly, behind the scenes, been guiding and working in how the church has been moving forward. Okay? So again, Barnabas and Saul went to Cyprus probably because why? Barnabas was? Come on. From there. He was a Cypriot. Okay? And so that makes sense. And again, conjecture on Bob's part. Okay? But after the, the, the conversion of Sergius Paulus, they go to Bithynia and Antioch. Why? Well, again, archaeologically, we've discovered that that's where he was from. Sergius Paulus is a state, was a city in Antioch. So it seems to me that they went there at his request. But I think God was sovereignly working. So God had an appointment for them in Paphos in order for Sergius Paulus to get saved. Satan was working against it mightily through LMS or Bar-Jesus, whichever you want to refer to him. And then God used Sergius Paulus to push him up into the middle of Asia Minor. And from there, they went down into Iconium and Derby and Lystra, from which we're going to see Timothy's going to come from. I think probably he probably heard the gospel that first go-round. And so by the time they come back, he's ready. This is really kind of cool stuff, right? And so they go back to Antioch. We have this big to-do. They get sent down to Jerusalem. Why? Because I think, again, God wants this all stated very clearly. This is how it all plays out. There's going to be total clarity from this moment on about how the church is going to proceed. So now it's time to not divide the ministry, but multiply the ministry. Too many times we divide rather than seeking to multiply. You know I love math. I'm a math guy. When you divide, you get less. When you multiply, you get more. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And in churches, we divide. And when we divide, the world sees our divisions. And we become less. Rather than understanding that we don't always agree and taking those opportunities by the sovereign hand of God to multiply the ministry. So the first one is how we're going to see this. And that is through John Mark. We see the resolve of Barnabas. He wants to take John Mark with him. John Mark needs encouragement. He sees John Mark as a, a matter of needing encouragement. Well, first of all, we've got to ask ourselves then, well, who is John Mark? What's so big about John Mark? Well, we know from Colossians 4, verse 10, actually, he is Barnabas' cousin or nephew. He's related. Oh, now this kind of makes sense. Like Barnabas wants to go to Cyprus. He wants to bring John Mark along. Okay, okay. So a little nephilim or whatever you want to call that going on there, you know. But the reality is he sees John Mark. He knows John Mark, okay? And, and he knows something about him, okay? What else do we know about him? Go back to Acts 12, okay, and read all that. It's actually his house that the church is meeting at, his mother's house. And so the church had been gathering there. Okay, and so if you want, we'll go back further in just a moment, but my, my statement to you is going to be, he's the kid who runs naked from the, uh, um, from the garden, that they grab the clothes and, 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 and run away naked, that it's this guy. So that he's been there from the days of Jesus. He's been hanging out with Jesus. And his family so involved in this movement, some wonder, conjecture, is it his house where the upper room is? 
Is that why the church is still meeting there like they did in Acts 1? I don't know that. But it's an interesting stuff to con conjecture about this John Mark, okay? And so the connections there is and all this. Well, Barnabas happens to be not only his uncle then, he wants to be his mentor, his mentor, okay? So he sees an important thing here, okay, about him. Regarding Barnabas, what do we know? The first time we were introduced to him, he's called the son of encouragement, the son of consolation, the son of encouragement. Well, that kind of makes sense. This goes along with his personality type, doesn't it? He's a mentor. He wants to disciple people. Do you know anybody else that he mentored and discipled? Paul, the one he's having a, a, a division with right now. I could see him. Paul, do you get it? Nobody wanted you around either. Who stood beside you? Did you falter? Did you fall? They sent you back to Tar Tarsus. Don't you remember that? I came from Antioch to go get you so you could come and be a part of this thing. Are you kind of forgetting what's going on here, Paul? He's got a great resolve. He's gonna he wants to take him with him, right? The response of Paul, <laughs> nothing doing, dude. Nothing doing. John Mark is disqualified. I don't want him. He departed from us. Now, understand, it doesn't say deserted us. It doesn't say he forsook us. There literally is a word, departed. But it's the word that Jesus uses, at least recorded by Luke, which is kind of an interesting kind of thing, because Luke is the one who is going to be hanging out with Paul, right? And so he's going to be the kind of a disciple of Paul, if you would, on this stuff. And so in Luke's gospel, in his recording of the sower and the seed, then it's when you have the, the one who is in the, 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 the stony soil. Do you remember last week or two weeks ago? Maybe it was two weeks ago, maybe, that we must through many hardships enter into the kingdom of God. And we talked about the thalipsis that's there and that, that we talked about how the one in the stony soil, that when the thalipsis came, they what? Departed. They departed. Same word. Okay, here. Okay? So, so in my mind, again, they don't have the writing of Luke because they hadn't met Luke yet. So you can't say, well, he read it in Luke. And he didn't write it in Luke because read it in Luke, Luke hadn't been written yet. They hadn't even met Luke yet, okay? But they do know the teachings of Jesus. And so in my mind, I'm wondering whether Paul is taking the teachings of Jesus here, and he's saying that when we started to face hardship, what did John Mark do? He left. So according to the writings of our Lord, he's not even saved. Now, I can't say that. Those are all conjectures. But for me, I like to put myself in these passages and try to understand how things are playing out. Okay? So I could see Paul doing this. No, he left. So according to the standard, he's gone. I don't want him with us. How can we trust him? He may do it again. So he says, no, he's got to be gone. Well, what's the conclusion? Paul and Barnabas acknowledged their division. They didn't sweep it under the rug. They knew they couldn't come to a mutual agreement. They weren't willing to submit to one another. And so they agreed to, to, to separate. And this final one is a question that is one that I ponder a lot. Is it possible that neither one was wrong? Now, it's kind of interesting that when, they, when it says they leave, and we'll get to that in a moment, okay, where they go and that kind of stuff, that it says that Barnabas took John Mark, took Mark, and they went to Cyprus. But then, if you, you can read it there in your Bible, right? And then it says, though, that when Paul took Silas and he left and he went, how did he do it? 
What, what's, the, what's the distinct difference between uh, Barnabas leaving and Paul leaving? He was sent. It almost seems like the church embraced him in the argument and not Barnabas. But Barnabas would not be deterred in his discipleship of John Mark. Okay? I want you to think about it because we're going to come to this in one moment. Okay? So the conclusion of this, though, is they acknowledge their, different, their division. They agreed to disagree. They multiplied the ministry rather than stay together and fight. And too many times, that's what we do, don't we? And it's, it's a war of attrition. The, la, you know, the last people standing are the ones who get the facility. Because we think this is the church that we're sitting in rather than we are the church. And so we're willing to destroy the church for the church. Are you tracking what I'm saying? And that's very sad. Because the building is nothing. The property is nothing. It's a gift from God to be used for his glory. But we are the body of Christ. We are the church. And we need to get that, continue to have that understanding and that so if somebody comes and they start a division within us, who are they of? The evil one. Do you understand? Because God desires for us to be what? Unified. To be one. And through our oneness, people will know that the oneness of God is real. So they multiplied the ministry rather than together. They refused to continue to fight. This is exciting for me. After the Barnabas is only mentioned five times in the scripture. All, all by Paul. Four of those are all positive. The only one that's negative is only referring to, to when they were in Antioch together and the, the, the people, the circumcision came and they, they, conf- and it, they drew people away and then Barnabas was drawn away at the same time too. Okay, and So he's not dissing them after the split. He's just talking logic about what happened okay before that time okay so he honors Barnabas afterwards so there was no negativism from Barnabas to Paul at least that we read and you can go read Barnabas's epistle to the Ephesians okay we have it it's 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 out there it's not part of the scriptures but we have writings of the early fathers and so I I have that okay if you want to read it you can read it I, I can give you that along with some of the other writings of the early fathers he doesn't disrespect Paul in it at all. Paul never disrespects Barnabas. Okay? It's a lot of fun. Okay. They advanced the kingdom. They began to, to, to go separate routes, not the same route, competing for the people. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Jim and I were just talking about it as far as planting a church and and where do you go? If there's another evangelical church in the area, are you going to plant your church right next to that other evangelical church? I mean, I praise the Lord for the facility, the property that he gave us that we're not in the middle near another church. Does it make sense? I, I have a struggle with that. I mean, I, I, I don't want to be ecumenical because doctrine means something to me. But it's a struggle for me because I want the body of Christ to be one. I mean, I pray for that. I, I yearn for that. And yet I recognize the fact that there is divisions among us as a whole based upon truth. Does it make sense? Well, in the early days, they already had the core truth handed to them from Jerusalem. It wasn't a matter of we're dividing over a doctrine at this moment. Does it make sense? And so there's going to be division. We'll see that in the next weeks coming up, you know, when the, as the, um, um, the Judaizers come along behind them. But at this moment, 
It's Paul and Barnabas, and they say, no, we're going to multiply. So Barnabas takes John Mark, and they go back to Cyprus. And they're going to encourage the brethren in Cyprus. Paul and Silas, they head over to into Pamphylia in that region to encourage the brethren that were there. Okay, So they go separate routes, and at this point, we don't really read anything more about the ministry of Barnabas and John Mark. We're going to track and we're going to follow the ministry of Paul. Okay? And Silas for a while, but as a whole, it's the ministry of Paul Okay, and how God's going to be using Paul. Okay? But I have one more major point here, and that is the culmination. You say the culmination. To me, this is the height of it all. Okay, and this is exciting to me because this goes now 20-something years later, okay, from the moment that we are just talking about. Now you advance about 20 years, 25 years further down the road, and you have this writings from, from Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 to 11. Be diligent, he's talking to Timothy, be diligent, which is the guy we're going to meet in just a moment, by the way, right? This is kind of fun. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Who? Mark. The guy that what? Was axed out. We don't want him. No, it's that same guy. Go get Mark and bring him with you. How cool is that? In the end, we're talking about John Mark and we're talking about Timothy, but now he's telling Timothy to go get John Mark. And bring him with you. Why? Because he is useful for me, for the ministry. Philemon 1, 23, and I'm going to bring all these together in a second. Opinion, conjecture, but my opinion. Philippians 1, 23, 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, my fellow what? When is Paul writing this? In prison. Okay, My fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. So at this moment, where is Paul? In prison, where? In Rome. Who's with him? Mark. Isn't that kind of fun? Probably brought there by Timothy. Isn't this kind of cool stuff? Okay. But now we get down here, 1 Peter 5, 13, she who is in Babylon, this is Peter speaking, she who is in Babylon. Peter was out in Babylon, is that right? No. What's Babylon? Rome. Okay, He's referring to Rome, but he's referring to it as Babylon because they understood Rome to be in that idol in, of, of Nebuchadnezzar coming down through, ching, 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 that Rome was that one that was going to be there after Greece. Okay, She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark my son. Now that's not physical son. That's spiritual son. But who has been his first, if you would, mentor? Peter. Peter. Barnabas is the one that was taking him to train him. Peter refers to him as, so I wonder, back in the early days, the Jesus days, or just after the Jesus days, but I'm thinking Jesus days, who was it that brought him potentially to Jesus? I don't know. But according to this, I ponder, and I wonder, is it Peter? There was a special bond between Peter and John Mark. And I, and I have pondered, and some of you I know are potentially of the same opinion, but some of you may have never heard this before. And 
And I wonder what the special purpose was that Paul had for John Mark in Rome. And my opinion is that the gospel of Mark, because that's the gospel of John Mark, and that's the one, the only one, that you read about the boy who runs away naked. John doesn't record it, Luke doesn't record it, Matthew doesn't record it. Only Mark records it about this anonymous guy who runs away naked. Why do you think so? Probably near and dear to him, right? But I don't think he wrote it. I don't think Mark wrote it. I think Mark was the scribe for Peter. I believe that the, the gospel of Mark is really the gospel according to Peter. That at this time, this is true, Paul and Peter are in Rome at the exact same time. And they're burying the hatchet, the axe. It's in 2 Peter chapter 3, the very end of Peter's ministry, where he declares that Paul's writings are scripture. He gives them the stamp at the very end. And again, that's what validates Pauline epistles, is the fact that Peter himself established it. Especially in the minds of the Judaic believers to whom Peter was the, the apostle from that perspective, if that makes sense, okay? And I believe that it was Paul who called for Mark, for Peter, in order that we would have Peter's version of the gospel. Other versions of the gospel had already started to come out. Who best than the rock, the one on whom Christ was going to build his church, to give us, again, for the Jewish community, a valid gospel account. Are you tracking with me? This is so cool to me, because Paul wanted nothing to do with this guy. But now in the end, he realizes that maybe he was a little bit what? Say it again? Rash. You know, like Fonzarelli, you know? Wrong. <laughs> he was rash. That's right. And that he was overzealous. But God was using even maybe what was meant for evil. And I'm not saying that Paul meant evil in it, but maybe the, the, the evil one meant it for evil in, the, in that divide. But God used what was meant for evil for what? For good. And he multiplied the ministry, even though these two ego guys, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying that, but I don't mean it that way, but I do think Paul started to take a, a great ownership of this thing, right? And he wasn't going to take no for an answer, right? And he wasn't going to submit to Barnabas anymore. And Barnabas is keyed on, no, I'm, like I mentored you, I'm mentoring him, and I'm all on it, that they split and they multiplied, okay? So again, God has... No matter who you're looking at, and you think, oh man, they're wasted, they're worthless, right? Don't ever think that. Because God knows what he's going to do with that person. And if you're that person sitting here today, you're not worthless. God wants to use you. You just have to be willing to be used by him. And be willing to be discipled and mentored by somebody else. And that requires humility. I can't imagine the humility that took John Mark to go back. But he did. Especially when he knows that Paul is what? <laughs> wants his blood, okay? And so, but he goes, and, and they go forth, okay? 
So the next guy is Timothy. Well, what's the situation? Well, you have the desire of Paul right off the bat. Paul sees Timothy, and again, I think, again, I can't prove that, but I think he probably got saved in that first go-round that they were there. He goes back, and Timothy has grown some, and grown with his desire now that he's being maybe probably a little bit more fervent in the faith. And Paul sees him and says, this guy needs to come along with us. So he wants to, to bring him along. Well, but there's a dilemma, and that is Timothy's uncircumcised. Well, that's no dilemma, because you're bringing the message from the Jerusalem council, right? Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to be circumcised in order to be saved. Not a problem. Well, it is a problem, because he was a descendant of a Jewish mother. We're told that here, and we're also reaffirmed that in 2 Timothy, okay, by Paul, that he had a, a Jewish mom, Jewish grandma, okay, who were praying for him and ministering to him. And so, when it came to the Jewish people, it was going to become a stumbling block. So what do you do with this thing? Because you're preaching the message that what? You don't need to be circumcised. But now i got this guy who's kind of, he's not circumcised. He's half Jewish. Do I just say, hey, buddy, he's a Gentile. But the Jews are going to say what? He's a Jew. He's got a mom who's a Jew. He's a Jew. You know, and so what do you do with it? Well, they got to make a decision, right? How they're going to handle that. Solution? Well, we have the decree of Jerusalem Council. We have the declaration of Paul in Galatians 2, 1 to 5, which Paul very clearly states that if you go back under circumcision, you're putting yourself back under the law. So what a dilemma for Paul, right? I mean, here's what he declares. This is even years later. So he's still of the same mindset. He says, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I also took Titus with me, and I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of the reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, he's a Gentile, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in to by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. These, the ones who are bringing in that you have to be circumcised, he considered them to be what? What's he call them? False brethren. False brethren. In other words, they're not what? They're not real. They're not real believers. He called them false brethren. They're coming in to do what? To divide the church. So Paul says, at that time, I, 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 I wouldn't give a, 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 an inch. I mean, I was stuck to this position. And I, it was all for you, for your liberty, for your freedom. Well, that's his position. But now we come to the decision, right? Timothy, you need to be circumcised. Now, I want you to understand something. That may have been Paul's decision, but Timothy had to, had to make a decision with that, okay? You get it? I mean, it's easy for Paul to say what? You need to be circumcised, you know? I'm looking at John now, right? And John says to me, what? <laughs> well, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> You're going to do it vicariously for me, Paul? <laughs> you know, it's not going to happen. God hasn't spoke to me that way. Timothy had to choose to whether he's going to submit to the leadership of Paul or whether he's going to stand in the liberty which Paul now declared. Think about that. You have a freedom, and you have a liberty. 
But as Paul stated in Galatians chapter 5, that your liberty is not given to you for an occasion of your own flesh, but rather it is given to you that you might serve one another. And then he talks about the second greatest commandment, because the first greatest commandment is the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, right? But the second greatest commandment is to what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Your liberty was given to you in order for you to love others, not for you to love you. Not for you to please you more than, more than you want. And sadly, we use that liberty for our own self, for our own pleasures. So for me, the, that, the parable of the, the Good Samaritan is the perfect illustration of what this is talking about. Jesus, because he was asked, who's my what? Who's my neighbor? So he says, well, there was a Jewish guy who was going down from Jerusalem, right? And as he was going down, he was what? He was waylaid, okay? He was beat up. They took his money, and they left him for dead, right? So, so this is perfect, actually, because it's such a narrow path here, okay? And so if you've ever been over there and you ever got to go to the, the, the road, quote-unquote road, between Jericho and Jerusalem, you'll understand that it's actually along the edge of a wadi. Again, a wadi is um, like a gulch, um, like out south or down in the southwest, when there's rains up in the mountain and the water rushes down, it, 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 it digs a, a ravine, okay? But then, for the most part, it's dry the rest of the year, okay? Well, along the side, there was a ridge that was along it. That's the road. That's what they would walk. And so they would walk on the edge of this ravine as they would go along. And that was the road. Some places it's very narrow. Some places it's wider. Marsh and I walked it. And so it's wider, but there's a lot of turns in it. And so when you have these turns and there's a big rock, that many times behind the rock would be the thieves, the robbers. That's why they always traveled in caravans. So there would be many of them. You never traveled alone. Okay, well, this guy's traveling alone, and he's waylaid along the way, and he's left for dead. Well, coming up from Jericho to Jerusalem is who? A priest. More than likely, he's coming from Jericho to Jerusalem to do what? Serve at the temple. Okay? So serve at the temple. And what do we know about a priest who's coming to serve at the temple? He's got to stay clean. And so as he's coming by and he sees this guy, what does he see? A dead person. A probability of a dead person. And so if he touches this guy, what happens to him? He becomes unclean, which means he can't what? Serve God. So out of his love for God, this sounds convoluted, but this is real. This is according to the law. Out of his love for God and his service for God, he has to do what? Tiptoe as close as he can to the ravine or to the wall, whichever way the guy is at, right? To not become any part of him touching him. It's a real bad thing if the guy's laying across the, the pathway. Because then you've got to run back, start back a little further and do the, the best Olympic high jump and long jump that you can, right? So he bypasses them. Again, we always give that guy a bad attitude, you know, oh, I can't believe a stinking guy. No, put it in the Jewish perspective. He's serving God. Who's the next guy that comes? A Levite. Again, Jesus is, is he could share and talk to anybody he wants to, but he's picking two guys specifically who are going to be serving the law. Do you understand? who are under the law, serving the law. Well, what's the Levite going to Jerusalem for? Well, the same reason the priest is going to Jerusalem. It's probably the order, his order of service is coming that, that time, and so they're heading up to Jerusalem to do, to do the 
service for the Lord that they were called to do. What's he see? He sees a dead guy or potentially a dead guy. He sees an unclean individual. That if he touches the unclean individual, right, can't have any part of him. Well, who's the next guy that comes? Samaritan. What does he see? A guy needs help. (laughs) Because he's not under the law. He's not worried about touching this unclean guy because according to the Jews, what? He's already unclean. It doesn't really matter. (laughs) So I'm an unclean guy touching an unclean guy. What's really interesting is it's a Samaritan who is despised by the Jews getting ready to serve as who? A Jew. Who, if he was alive, would probably despise him. Isn't that kind of interesting? Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Could you imagine the Jews who are hearing Jesus give this parable? Because at the end, he's going to ask them what? Who is the real neighbor here? (coughs) Who? Say it louder. Come on. Say it louder. The Samaritan. I I don't want to talk about this. There are times for us to give up our own rights. I'm not under the law. God gave me freedom from the law that I don't have to worry about touching. And there's nothing wrong with John right now. But let's say John's, let's say John is an HIV, yeah, HIV patient. Yeah, in our day, it's COVID. But, but HIV. So in my day, it would have been HIV, right? But I can go up and I can minister to this guy not worrying about it. He's not unclean to me. I can minister to the prostitute. No, I'd rather have my wife do that. But you get what I'm saying. Anything that you want to call unclean. And in our day today, we want to self-righteously put ourselves above all these people who are sinners, just as you were before Jesus. But there's no difference. But now I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to become unclean. Jesus has took their uncleanness and made them clean by his blood. They just have to receive it. Does that make sense? Jesus is not only the propitiation for my sins, he's also for the sins of the whole world. He's paid for the sins of the whole world. I'm just his emissary. I'm just an ambassador going out to declare it. And sometimes there's a need for me to sacrifice my liberty in order to minister to somebody else. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, to the Jews I became a Jew. To the Gentiles I became a Gentiles. And so it goes on further, but you get the whole point. And what he's saying is that, look, no matter who I was around, I tried to understand them. I tried to blend in, not blend, but, but try to, to, to not put myself above them in order that I might win the more. My purpose, Paul says, was to bring people to Jesus. That's my purpose. I want to bring people to Jesus. Some of you homeschool. We have a lot of homeschoolers. And one of the things I said way back in the beginning is that when we we evangelize, you're not evangelizing for people to become homeschoolers. It sounds silly, but if you're a homeschooler, you've been a homeschooler for a long time, you understand what I'm saying. There are some people who believe you don't homeschool 
that you really can't be saved because you really don't love your kids. But I met a pastor. I know him. He's a friend of mine who would say the opposite. And he would say to you homeschoolers that you lack faith, that you don't believe that God can protect your kids, putting them into there so that they can be a light. Isn't that kind of funny how we do that to each other? Rather than as like Paul and Barnabas understood it, right? God calls us to different what? Ministries. Okay? So I'm not evangelizing somebody to be a Republican. I'm not, and I'm, I am technically, but I see myself as an independent. I really, you know, that's who I am. But I'm not evangelizing somebody to be a northerner. Clearly, I've been down south. But I'm not evangelizing them to become southern. I'm not evangelizing to become a homeschooler. I want people to come to know Jesus. When I was doing, having my ordination council, I had a guy who was very strong, and, and understand I was independent Baptist, where I was at, okay? In an independent Baptist church, and there was an independent Baptist ministry, who I loved greatly, great guy, had a heart for the Lord, but he was independent Baptist. And, and, he, and I wasn't a Baptist. I, I wasn't a Baptist growing up. I got saved, and and I, and, and I got baptized, and I became a member of the church, but I made, that made a declaration that very, that very moment that I was not becoming a Baptist. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. And, <laughs> Rodney and Michelle were there and way back then, okay? And I, I wasn't becoming I mean, it's like, well, you're an independent Baptist church. Oh, we, we're going to let this guy be a member? I mean, he's not going to become a Baptist. I mean, you know, I want to be a follower of Christ, I've been duped for 23 years. Now, it may have been my fault. It may have been somebody else's fault. I don't know whose fault, but it doesn't matter. I didn't want to be following a union label. The union label is not going to get me to heaven. I want to follow Jesus. Well, in my ordination call, this guy wanted to know, well, what are you going to call a church? If you plant a church, what are you going to call it? I, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever God wants me to call it. I, don't, I can't answer a question for that. Clearly, do you know who, for those of you who haven't been here, some of you have been here long enough, I don't know if you remember this though. Does anybody remember who named this church? It wasn't me. It was one of, it was one of my mentors, Dr. Waukee, who was an independent Baptist pastor for 50 years. And I say that lovingly, but if he planted the church... It wouldn't have been a Bible church. It would have been an independent Baptist church. But he knew my heart. And as we talked and as we, we met, he, and as the, the study was happening and, and we knew that there was going to be something, he says, you need to name that family Bible church. Isn't that kind of cool? Get rid of all your, your other things that are there. Timothy, from, the, from his very beginning, his very origin, had to make a decision. This flesh means nothing. My life means nothing. I want to be used as a vessel by God. And if me getting circumcised has the potential to reach more people for Christ, then by God's grace, what? That's what I'm going to do. And so I just want to ask you, are there things that you harbor in your life Stumbling blocks, maybe, that are standing in your path, in your, in your life, that keep other people from coming to know Christ. But because of your pride, you're not willing to sacrifice them. You're going to hold on to it. 
because it's your right, it's your liberty, it's your freedom to do these things. We do that, sadly. Get rid of labels, get rid of your liberties, focus on Christ alone. Be a blessing. We're going to end the service with make me a blessing. That came from the Lord. I said, Lord, what do you want us to end with? And it flooded my brain. I mean, I hadn't thought about making me a blessing in a long time. But that's exactly it. God wants you, your life, individually, to be a blessing in other people's lives. The gift that he's given you is not for you to play around with on your own. It's to invest in the lives of others. So, in the end, how do you resolve conflicts? Do you seek to discern the will of God or the argument? Or to win the argument? What is your ultimate goal in life? Is it to glorify God and advance the gospel? Are there issues in your life that you become stumbling blocks to others and hindering their salvation? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your goodness to us. You alone are the most high God. There is no other God but you. And it is you who have given us the privilege to know you. We didn't come up with it on our own. It's not by our own merits. By our own merits, we are condemned. But as, as Steve sh showed in the communion devotional, Lord, it's your righteousness. And what an exchange, Lord, that you took upon our sin in order that we might take upon our, the righteousness of God. I praise you for that, Lord. But Lord, help us to be humble, to be discipled, to be mentored by someone else, but then to be bold enough to mentor somebody else. Lord, help us to be willing to see that you have a plan that's beyond us and that you want to use us in the lives of others. So Lord, help us to be willing to really be sacrifices before you that you might be glorified in us and through us. In Christ's name, amen.